mom. And so we've kind of created this, this habit, this thing we've done now for 10 years um, of just taking a moment in September. It's usually the time people find their ways back to church. The summer was long and a lot of maybe vacation time or just work uh, hours shifted. Um, we're back at school. We're back into our kind of our routines. And so we've gotten back into the rhythm of community. And that's what we invite you back into in September is back into that rhythm. Um, into coming uh, consistently or more often at least. It's hard in these days what is consistent, but um, we don't take attendance here, as you know. So, But uh, just to, to get into that rhythm, whether it's small groups, whether it's some of our events, whether it's getting the kids back in the, the team program, but uh, these habits, these patterns that we've created um, are going on now. And some of our habits that we all have, um, some, are, some are healthy and some not so healthy, like cinnamon rolls. For me, could be healthy, uh, or they could not be healthy, depending on my uh, uh, my intake. Right? I, I normally don't participate in eating things in the service. I I don't before because I just you know your stomach's a mess, and so I don't. And so this year I said, hey, maybe you should put a sampler plate aside, you know, for later. And so I guess on my desk there's a big sampler plate. So I'm excited about that. Almost too excited because um, and I just evaded or escaped like near tragedy. I have a cinnamon roll scented candle that I have at my table here. And it's been out here for about a month. We had one in the coffee bar. And we're, we had those because we're trying to like entice and get you excited about cinnamon rolls. And that, so that some of you guys walked in and you, what's that smell? It's, it's just a candle, sorry. But, uh, but anyways, it, usually it sits on a table here, a uh, high table. Um, and it got moved to the low table today, right where my coffee cup was. And just as she said, greet, I reached down to grab it to take a drink of my candle. And I'm glad it, it, I didn't. Because that would have been my last cinnamon roll flavored probably anything. I would, that would have been hor- horrible, horrible if I would have done that. So I'm glad I didn't. Uh, so we're good. So that would have been a bad habit. But let me uh, share briefly quick uh, about what habits are. And there's a little thing behind me on the screen that talks about the components of a, a habit. There are cues, there are routines, and there are rewards to our habits. Um, so first is, is the cue or the, or the prompt of a habit. Something that happens in your day that triggers you to respond or to act in a certain way. And then there's the routine or the behavior that is the action of the habit. And then there's the reward, right? There has to be some kind of reward. Otherwise, no one would continue to do what they're doing. It's just with when there's a reward, we will we'll continue it. And so let's say your habit is drinking coffee and not candle wax, but coffee. Um, and so what, what is the cue for, for many of you? Is it the, maybe the, the time of day? It's the morning, right? It's the lack of energy you're feeling or you, the, you smell coffee when you come into the office. And that becomes a, a cue for you. And then the routine then would to possibly make some coffee or order some coffee or at least drink coffee. And then the reward is quick. It's maybe you feel woke. You feel some energy in there. Maybe you're less cranky or less irritable, right? Some of you. So that, that would be a, a habit. What about brushing your teeth, right? Maybe a cue for you that you just ate breakfast, or maybe it's your morning trip to the bathroom that reminds you. For my kids, it's the blood-curdling scream of their mother at 6.59 telling them to brush their teeth, right? That's their cue, to brush their teeth. And so the routine then takes a few minutes to happen. Uh, Roby, um, part of her routine includes squirting the remainder of the toothpaste out in whatever bathroom she's in. Um, that's her routine. But the reward from that is possibly fresh breath or clean teeth or a nice smile. Um, and maybe even a good chance that you, you keep your real teeth, which if you're from around here, that's a novelty, right? Um, <laughs> I kid, I kid. <laughs> uh, some, some of you, boo. 
So, or how about, how about, how about this nail biting? How many nail biters in the room today? You can show by the lack of nails on your hands, right? You, so the, the cue for, for someone that maybe is a nail biter is maybe you're, there's anxiety or you're just bored. And so the routine would be to bite your nails or for some of you, it's, it's skin because you have no longer any nails to bite, right? And the reward is kind of weird. I read this, that the reward from that is actually pain and discomfort, right? Like your brain actually prefers the pain and discomfort over the boredom or the anxiety. In coaching, we teach players to uh, form these habits that might seem weird, but it becomes a habit and it will make sense to to what we're trying to do. Um, For instance, on Friday, um, I uh, came into the gym and Coach Turner and and my daughter Maisie were working on, on a basketball workout. And she was having some issue with her, with her stepping into a shot. Um, and so he wanted to, her to go through this routine. And so we had her without a ball, kind of going back and forth, back and forth, because she had this extra skip in her step. And I blame her mom because she really encouraged skipping when she was little. So, but we, they, this routine that seemed funny as Maisie rolled her eyes when he asked her to do it again and again. Um, but it was this habit that she was trying, he was trying to have her form. And if you ask me, See, I only have good habits, right? But if you were to ask my wife or kids, it's another story, right? Because we, we, we often, we can see other people's habits like easier, right? Like Matt. He's not here, but I'll talk about Matt. Matt, Matt is a full-size fidget spinner, if you've been around Matt. What I mean by that is Matt is always moving. He's always fidgeting. He's always tapping on something. His leg is constantly moving. When Matt rides with me in the car... I swear, I swear, I have to put the windows on lock because he keeps pushing the button to make the window go up and down, up and down as we drive. And it drives me crazy. See, we used to, we used to work together um, and pastor together in Orlando, Florida, and we lived in Lakeland, and we would drive um, twice a week, so four car trips back and forth from, from Lakeland to Kissimmee, which is right outside Orlando. And I would make Matt drive in the back of the van so he would be away from all the locks and the buttons and everything like that because it was, it was the worst thing. And he still does it today. And he's got some scars from his childhood about having to sit on the hallway and take tests and stuff like that. And so we're getting, working on getting one of those balls that he can sit on during our meetings so he can constantly move. But sometimes he, you know, but sometimes we are unaware of our habits, right? And, and there's, but there's this meaning behind them. There's the purpose behind them. There's a, a meaning behind our habits. And those habits all have these patterns, McLaren, in our book, in the chapter that we're on today, that says um, the world of meaning, um, he says that as you grow older, as you and I grow older, and we, the longer we live, we become more and more aware that life is full of patterns, that creation and life is speaking to us. And although there's a mystery and a chaos out there, there's also meaning and, and intention. That chaos may be the backdrop for the patterns, but those mysteries drive us to try to understand the pattern. So from the single molecule to the strands of DNA to a bird in flight or the current of the ocean, there's logic, there's meaning, there's pattern to it all. That creation reveals wisdom through its patterns and it reveals wisdom about its source and purpose and about our quest to be alive if we are paying attention. But where the struggle for many of us is, is how do we interpret those patterns? Like if there's logic behind all of life, if there's meaning behind everything, well, what is it? In John's gospel, where we're at today, uh, we are given insight to what that meaning is. John uses the word or the term logos uh, for the pattern of meaning 
that God has spoken or written to the universe. So he says logos, and it's often translated in English as word. And we find logos or word in in words like biology or, or anthropology or psychology, right? The logic of life, the logic of human development, the logic of human personality. And when John says that the word, the logos, became flesh in a man named Jesus So in other words, John's saying that if you want to know what God is like, if you want to understand what the universe is about, if you want to know the meaning of life, look at the life of Jesus. Because there's logic there. There's meaning. There's wisdom. There are these patterns found in the life of Jesus. And Jesus showed that logos of God in the way he treated others. You see, John's gospel was designed to inspire us to look at the patterns of this fully God, fully man, word became flesh, homeless guy who is traveling around the country with a group of nobodies, telling stories, eating and drinking, confronting injustices, helping people in need. And he says if we could get that, if we could see that as the, the way you and I were meant to live, that we would live our lives in a new way. That we would discover God and when we would encounter the rest of creation. So I want to look at one of these habits, one of these patterns that we see in the life of Jesus. One that I want us to uh, embody today. So turn with me to Matthew 9. Matthew chapter 9. We spent... Almost two years walking through Matthew's gospel, the story of God told to us by a tax collector named Matthew. And if you remember the beginning section of Matthew's gospel, he does the Sermon on the Mount. And this is where Jesus kind of goes to the hillside and his his 12 closest are there. Well, not the 12 yet, but in Matthew's gospel, there's just a few that have gathered at this point. And then crowds begin to come and he begins to talk to them and tell them what the purpose and what the meaning of life is. And how we're supposed to treat one another and act and how we're supposed to engage and respond to God. And uh, right there, many people would say that that's it. That if we could just get that message, if we could just get the Sermon on the Mount, what, what Jesus said there, that we're good. We don't need to to worry about the rest of the stuff. We need to get what he was saying there. And Jesus gives that sermon. It was a sermon to end all sermons, they say. And and then he comes off the mountainside and he begins to live it out immediately. Immediately he brings back into community those that were considered outsiders, those that were considered outcasts, broken, messy, shamed, bullied. brings them back into community. And then we fast forward to, to Matthew chapter 9. Starting in verse 9, this first verse, it says this. Passing along, Jesus saw a man at his work collecting tax collectors, uh, tax collecting taxes. His name was Matthew, Jesus said. Come along with me. And Matthew stood up and followed him. Now, Matthew, according to the culture, according to this story, was a sinner. Uh, some would even say he's worse than a sinner. He was a tax collector, right? And it was, it's okay for us to identify him as such because it says here in Matthew's gospel and it's about Matthew and it was written by Matthew. And so that's, that's okay to say that, right? We can maybe draw some conclusion that maybe he's not a believer. He's possibly a skeptic. We know that he's Jewish and so he probably knows the story of God a little bit. But maybe he grew up in church and somewhere along the journey, he walked away from God. 
He walked away from the church. He was turned off by something that the pastor said or did. Or maybe he was just put off by those that claimed to be religious. Maybe he was hurt by the actions or the words of God's people. Or he just chose simply not to believe. Then maybe other things drew his attention and his interest. He just didn't want to believe the stories. But either way, whatever happened, he chose to become a tax collector. And Jesus invites this tax collector and Matthew follows him. Which instantly should tell us something that the invitation to follow Jesus must be for everyone. Because some of us in here, we lack belief. We have our doubts. We have huge questions about God and about faith. And we struggle with the God thing. And, and you think that that might keep you from being able to follow him. Or to even accept the invitation to follow him. Some of you, you've been in and out of church your entire life. And for whatever reason, your journey with God has been good, bad, high, low, all over the place. Not even sure where you stand with this whole God thing. The story tells us, it shows us that those things do not disqualify you from following Jesus because Jesus simply says, follow me to Matthew. And when Matthew wraps up his story uh, in his gospel, we know at the end uh, that the guys that were closest to Jesus, they still doubted. Like it took years for some of his disciples to work through their doubts and their unbelief. And so this invitation to do life with Jesus here was not an invitation that said, I need you to stop doing blank or I need you to start believing right and then follow me, Matthew. It was simply follow me, that you were made for more, that there is meaning to life. And Matthew, I want to show you what it is. And Matthew must have felt this inside, right? He must have knew this, that he had this longing, this emptiness, the desire for something more. He had questions because what did he do? He got up and he followed him. And in verse 10, it says, Later then, uh, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit and they lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher acting cozy with crooks and riffraff? If, if you've been around here for any length of time, you've probably heard stories like this and moments like was just described there. And if anything is actually clear in scripture, it's this. That Jesus is unbelievably comfortable being around people who are nothing like him. And people who are nothing like Jesus loved hanging out with him. And here's one of those patterns. Jesus was very strategic about the community that he created. So the problem is, is that for us, for many church people, many evangelicals. We, we tend to surround ourselves with people we agree with, right? People who look, act, talk, believe the same that we do. But Jesus created tension in the community, right? He invited people who thought, acted, behaved differently, and he puts them in community together. He says, follow me, come into relationship with me. And over time, let's see if some things don't change, right? But let's start with with follow me. 
And that's something we've, we're, we're trying to do here at the Grove. And we're getting more and more like it every day. That our goal, our vision is to create a community where everyone belongs, full of diversity, full of color, where we're honest about our struggle and that we're, we, we know we're a mess and that we need God and, and, and we offer a message of hope. So if you're looking for a church this fall where we all look, act, believe in the same, probably not a church for you long term because we're creating space where we can belong before we believe where we have to be intentional about creating community just like Jesus did. Which means that sometimes here at the Grove, there will be tension. It's just a reality. That doing life together with with people who have different values or, or beliefs or habits will cause tension. It will make some of us uncomfortable. But I truly believe that when someone enters into fully a relationship with Christ, things will change. And so this is then back to the story. It gets a little familiar here. The religious leaders show up, right? And they're going after Jesus for hanging out with his, these people that he notoriously hung out with, right? And side note, that speaks to one thing that you don't get a rep- reputation for doing something just once, right? And so obviously already this was a habit for Jesus, a pattern. Jesus was known as a person who hung out with these types of people. And so Jesus and his disciples are at Matthew's house. The music is probably loud. And the religious leaders, they come rolling by, right? And some of the disciples are probably out there in the front yard. and They're playing cornhole, right? Throwing the bags around. And the, 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 the Pharisees, they, they roll up and they stop. And they're like, hey, Andrew, James, come here. What in the world are you guys doing here? This is Matthew, the tax collector's house. And they're like... Yeah, we know. SMH. Shaking my head. Yeah. Jesus. LOL. Thank you. Jesus invited him to follow him. And the good evangelicals were like, what? He did what? You guys are a mess, right? And, And you know what? We're not even sure you guys are Christians anymore. You need to find a new rabbi to follow. Seriously. This guy is always hanging out with the wrong crowd, bringing you down, making you look bad. You know what I also heard? I heard that you guys don't even use the Torah when you guys preach. Disciples go back inside, heads kind of hung low. Come up to Jesus, like, see Jesus, we told you. Told you people are going to talk about us being here at the tax collector's house. And then Jesus grabs the mic, comes out on the porch, comes down the sidewalk to where the Pharisees are, walks up to the religious leaders that have gathered there in the street. And verse 12 says this, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what the scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite the outsider and not coddle the insider. Drops mic walks back in and the lights went down and the lights came up Jesus says it's 
talks amongst yourself. I was on a roll. Just hit the same button that was hit there again. If you got some flashlights on your phone, thank you, AJ. Hilarious, fantastic spotlights. So, uh, let's go with this. I'll give him a second here. Nothing. Man, if we only had some shutters to open. Just kidding, don't open those shutters. Don't do it, don't do it. All right, I'll just go and I'll just be in the dark and just ignore the man behind the curtain. I'll just stay up here in the shadows. Um, I gotta find out where I was at, though. Really good. Jesus drops mic. All right. All right. <laughs> all right so this was Jesus' strategy uh, for community. He's walking down the street, and he sees Matthew sitting at his, uh, at his tax collector's booth. And he simply says, come, follow me, Jesus. Follow me, Matthew. And Matthew, he might not even know what that means, right? But Matthew knows that there is something missing, that he wants more. And so he follows Jesus. In the next verse, we got uh, Jesus and the disciples, and they're in Matthew's house. And we're not sure the, the, the time frame between the invitation uh, where uh, he's asked Matthew to follow him, and then the house party that's happening at Matthew that he throws. It could have been 24 hours. It could have been a, a week later. But Matthew must have been like, man, there is something about this Jesus, this guy that just invited me to follow him. That I, I have some friends that they really need to meet this guy. And you've had those thoughts too, right? You probably have. <laughs> I'm losing you guys here. Thank you for coming to the Grove today. It was good to see you. All right. Yeah. No more cinnamon rolls for the sound booth, people. Focus, focus. Okay. What's this button do? Gone. Seriously. You probably have some friends. Maybe they're in a bad spot in their life. They're going through some transition. Maybe they're going through a divorce or there's broken relationship. They lost a job, illness, money, uh, death, whatever it might be. And this Jesus story is for real. If his offer to follow him, to do life together, to, is to have a life change. If it's real, we all know some people that need to hear about this. You might be in this room. But we all need to hear this. And Matthew was a tax collector. And he was aware that his tax collecting friends were probably just like him. And he's thinking, man, they got to be feeling the same way that I feel about this life. That there's something more out there, right? There has to be a meaning to all of this. And so he starts to plan. And he starts to strategize, right? My friends, they need some of this love and grace Jesus is offering. Well, how can I get them together? They probably won't listen to the podcast. I know they won't come to my church. The evangelicals, they haven't created Christmas yet. And, and, and Easter hasn't happened yet. So we can't invite them to those services. So, boom, black light goes up above his head. What if I throw a party, right? If there was anything sinners and tax collectors knew how to do, it was the party, right? How many out there? Yeah, Mostly sinners, no tax collectors in here. But uh, how do I know? How, how do I know it was a, it was a kicking party? Well, Luke tells the same story, but he adds that not only were there tax collectors there, but there were others there too. 
that there were uninvited guests would show up. So there were tax collectors and there were sinners at the party. But then there was these others that showed up uninvited. You know you throw a good party when uninvited guests show up, right? So Matthew was throwing this party. And at some point, the religious people drive by staring. Maybe these were the uninvited people. You're like, oh, great. The Bible police are here. They just showed up. They're the uninvited, right? And the issue that religious people had was pride and arrogance. It's the same in the New Testament as it is today. We seem to take great pride and joy in blowing the whistle whenever we can. We love to play the moral referee in the church. And they keep asking. They just can't let it go. They need to know why Jesus hangs out with these types of people. And Jesus looks at them and he says, with all of your religious accomplishments, with all your theological understanding, how is it that you miss this? That these are the people that God's heart is breaking for. You think they're the enemy. You think that's what's wrong with our society. That they are a threat to us, to our marriages, to our schools, to our churches, to our freedoms, to our flag. You think that that, that they're why our culture is the way it is. That they're the enemy, that they're the bad people. And he says, you want to know the truth? Here it is. These are the people that I love and my heart breaks for them. And I came to be with them. And when you love Jesus, you love who he loves. And that's the change that occurs when you and I are in relationship with him. We love who Jesus loved. And Jesus always spent time with people who who were far from God. He's like, listen, guys, if I have a way to heal what is broken, then why would I stay away from them? And this is where it kind of gets kind of awkward at the party. Jesus just said, hey, listen, guys, I'm here for the sick. But by this time, the tax collectors had kind of rolled out of the house, too, and they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And and they heard that, and they're like, excuse me, uh, we're standing right here. We kind of of just heard what you said, Jesus. uh, You know, um, we heard what you said to your religious friends there. And they turn to Matthew, and they're like, hey, Matthew, pretty sure your friend Jesus uh, just said that we're sick. You know, what's that all about, dude? Why'd you invite us here? Um, and Matthew's like, hold on, chill. Let me go talk to him. He probably meant the cool sick, right? You know, so he's like, hey, Jesus, you know, friends of mine, they heard you say that you were, that, that we're sick. Do you really think we're sick, Jesus? Like, what do you mean? And, and then this is where it gets honest and authentic with a relationship with Jesus. He's like, Matthew, dude, you're a tax collector. Your entire life has been about cheating and stealing and lying. And you've been a part of these systems that were created to keep the poor poor and the people marginalized. marginalized. And Matthew's like, you're right, Jesus. It's a mess. I'm broken. We're broken. Uh, You know, I'm a broken person. And this is a huge part of our faith community here. Because we're a community that can admit that we're broken, that we're a mess, that we need God. You're broken, but so am I. And that's okay because it's an okay place to be okay. That we have to understand that the heart of God, the the religious, they didn't get it. Jesus is saying, I am not content with just being around people who believe right and behave right. That are just like me. This is not just about gathering and believing and behaving. Church is not about that. Community is not about that. Yes, there is an element of rescuing that needs to happen. 
But if we don't partner with Jesus on this, we reduce Christianity to a building full of religious people. We have to reach people who are far from God. And here's what I love about the Grove. Most of you get this. Many of you have invited friends that you guys care about. I've met people that, you, that were invited by you, and they tell me that they have had this life-changing relationship because you invited them into it. And this is a huge part of who we are. If we're going to be a community where everyone's welcome, then we have to get the word out. We can't just wait here hoping they will show up. Like if, they, if we build it, they still won't come. You know, you have to invite them to come. And that's why we do things like Cinnamon Roll Sunday. It's not to secretly get people to church to have an intervention. That's not why you're here today. But to tell them the story of God, of a God who loves them. And that when you make it personal, when you invite a friend, there's a lot of power in that. But we have to understand the difference between an inviting people and just informing people, right? For example, these are the conversations that you and I have had probably during the week um, with people in our community. Something like, hey man, we should get together sometime. Or, hey man, our kids need to have a play date. We should grab some coffee sometime. Hey, we need to get together for dinner one night. Hey, you should come to church with me sometime. Like, has anyone ever said any of those things? At least said those things, right? Some of you, right? We all have. It's okay. You don't have to raise your hand. Just church. But those are not invitations. That's just information, right? Those are just facts and opinions. I've informed you about it in an, an intention of my, of my heart, that it would be really great if we spent some time together. In a perfect world, getting together would be awesome, right? But come on. Are we ever going to get together? Probably not. Most likely it's not going to happen. You just inform them of your intent. A miracle that is often forgotten is that Jesus was in his mid-30s and he still had 12 close friends, right? He was unmarried and didn't have kids, but... That's, but but this, is what, this is what an invitation sounds like. Hey, Tuesday after school, 3.30, let's meet at the playground for our kids to play and we can have some time to talk. Hey, this Wednesday at 6, come over to our house for dinner. We, we'll have a babysitter. Let's spend some time together. Hey, do you like cinnamon rolls? Thought so. This Sunday at our church. Those are invitations. And so what I want you to think about regarding the invite is a, a, as a pattern, as a habit. And with habits, we said there's, there's cues, there's routine, and there's rewards, right? And I want to help you practice this in a, in a practical way. That the cues are when people, your friends and family say, I don't go to church anywhere. Well, that's a cue to invite them. Hey, I'm having the worst year ever. Things aren't going as expected. Divorce, fire, death, debt, routine. Let's make this, this time this week for coffee. What are you doing Thursday evening? The cue might be, we just moved here. I just lost a job. We just moved into a new place. I had a surgery. I'm lonely. The routine, hey, would it be okay if we brought you over dinner on Tuesday night? You listen for the, the cues, and the routine is that you invite them, that you make community happen. Invite them to church, to coffee, to the brewery, to a small group dinner Go to their house and help them clean up. Bring them a meal. And the reward, possible life-changing relationship with Jesus. 
Maybe not right away, but you have at least opened the door for him. And we get to be with people spending time eating, praying, hearing stories, creating space to tell us their stories. You take what God is already doing and you connect it with the community. And then we see signs of resurrection in the smile and in their eyes because it's about being with people. It's about, it's always been about relationship. When you talk to people that are nearing the end of their life, you never hear them tell stories of how big their house was or how much money they had or what their social status was. I just did a funeral for DJ Schuler and listening to his friends and family share. They didn't talk about the possessions he had or the accomplishments that he did. They talked about the stories that they had with him, that the life experiences they had with him. The stories were always about people that they had relationships with. That's what matters in the end. If what matters in the end doesn't matter now, then your priorities are messed up. If your life isn't about relationships now, there is some kind of priority issue going on. So I'm not sure how Matthew's house party ends. It doesn't tell us. But let's, let's imagine it was something like this, right? All Matthew's friends have gone home. The disciples are all passed out on the couches because they're tired, not the wine. My guess is Jesus is in the kitchen with Matthew doing the dishes, right? He, he came to serve. But Jesus is alone with Matthew and he says, hey man, I, I, gotta, I gotta be honest, I have to tell you something. And Matthew hangs his head and he says, I know, Jesus, I drank too much tonight. And Jesus is like, no, that's not it. Matthew's like, yeah, it was the music, wasn't it? You don't like the Jewish hip hop, right? And Jesus said, no, that's not it. Listen, Jesus says, first, Matthew, I love your heart. I love the way you love your friends. So keep your heart soft for them. You see, Matthew, as you become more of a Christ follower, it will become easier to just surround yourself with other Christians, to join a church full of people who think, behave, believe, vote, just like you. But I'm asking you to keep your heart soft, to keep the door open, and to make even more room at the table. Don't ever lose that love you have for your friends, the ones that are far from God and the ones who think they know me, both and second, Matthew, tonight was a blast, right? But thanks for setting this up. You were very strategic and thoughtful. You had fall-themed placemats and decor everywhere, right? You even had gluten-free cinnamon rolls for everybody, right? Thanks for inviting your friends. Thanks for inviting me, Matthew. You see, others, they would think that we were enemies, but you saw me as a brother, And thanks for letting the uninvited stay too because they need to be in relationship also. So thank you, Matthew, for creating this atmosphere and promise me that you will keep taking chances, keep being bold, keep using the talents, skills, platforms, and resources that I give you. Keep using the tools I give you to reach people far from God and to remove the labels of outsider and insider for all of us as brothers and sisters. So Grove family, I don't know what heaven, the moment we get there will be like exactly, 
if we were there and we throw this huge dinner party and we get to invite everyone who has ever had an, uh, has been impacted by the Grove Church and we're there and we get to share our stories and Jesus shows up and he's, it's his party, right? And he says, listen, he says, I want to make a toast. He says, to the Grove, He says, you weren't the perfect church. You wandered a lot more than you should have. You pushed the limits. You did things others weren't doing and you made a lot of room at that table. But two things. He said, thanks for keeping your heart soft for the people other churches gave up on. Thanks for loving your friends and coworkers and your family like you did. And thank you for welcoming the outsiders. And two... Thank you for leveraging the platform, the influence, your money, your time, and the resources I gave you. Thank you for taking the risk, for being bold, for not bowing down to criticism. Thank you for loving people into the community and into the kingdom. Wouldn't that be great getting to celebrate all the lives that were impacted and changed because we took the influence that God gave us and loved people who were far from God? But also at the table, wouldn't it be great if those who have left mad, bitter, disgruntled, good excuses, bad excuses, but they're at the table too with their glasses held high. They're saying, I didn't get it. I couldn't see past my pride or my own brokenness. But thanks for not listening to me because that's what this place should have always looked like where everyone was welcome, everyone belonged. We admit we're broken and we need God and we offer hope. And at the end of the day, when I look Jesus in the eye, I want to be guilty of inviting too many people rather than known for keeping too many out. And it starts with you and I loving others and seeing people not as enemies, but as brothers and sisters created in the image of God.